Okay. All right, we are live. Welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. I'm riding solo today. This is Andrew Lindroth. My father had something come up, but the show still goes on. We're in partnership with the uh, Black and Gold Hockey Production Studios. And today, I'm excited to have a special special guest, Trevor Gorsuch. Trevor's career started as a team, started in his early USHL and NHL days, playing for various clubs from 2011 to 2015 before committing to Western Michigan University. He then played for Western Michigan from 2015 to 2019, graduating and then turning pro in that same uh, block in time. His pro first contract was signed with Toledo at the tail end of his senior year at university, and the rest is history. From there, Trevor has been competing for various clubs, most in ECHL, and continues to be a sought-out goalie for many clubs. So without further ado, please welcome Trevor. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. Doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, Trevor, let me let's start from the beginning, man. We like to build a story from the beginning. Talk to us about the early days of your hockey career. You bounced back a lot between the USHL and the NHL, NAHL, uh, but you're most of the time you're with the Michigan Warriors in the NAHL. Being from yeah. uh, Missouri and everything, how did you end up over there and, and kind of piece together that story in the beginning? Well, uh, you know, growing up in St. Louis, uh, my family, we were big blues fans. Um, you know, there was a lot of point in times I was really tough to say and uh, own up to. But, uh, you know, we were season ticket holders since the time I was a little kid. And uh, we were going to blues games and I, I just kind of fell in love with hockey. And so uh, I was a hockey and baseball player growing up and uh, got to be a point in time where I had to choose between hockey or baseball. And uh, my love for hockey just won out. So. I really put all my passion and everything into that, my work ethic, and, uh, you know, just kept grinding away and uh, ended up getting drafted, I think, by the Omaha Lancers in the USHL draft. Uh, I went to their training camp, did really well, but they had two older goalies at the time, so they were like, ah, go back, play AAA, you know, come in the next season. And so I started my uh, senior year back in St. Louis, uh, training, playing well. And uh, they called it my uh, my advisor because it was before you could have an agent calls me and says, hey, Omaha wants to trade your rights to Tri-City, but they want you to come and join the team right away. And I was like, oh, OK, so I'm a 17 year old kid because I'm a July birthday. So I'm a late senior. And, uh, you know, they made some promises. Tri-City did said I'd play 15 to 20 games with them as a 17 year old. And uh, I show up and that ends up not being the case. So um, at the right around Christmas time, they uh, they had brought in another goalie, another older goalie, another 20 year old goalie that season. So uh, I pretty much just asked, I was like, hey, can you guys trade me, release me, help me go somewhere where I'm going to play? Because sitting here, not even practicing, barely practicing, not playing any games isn't helping me. And uh, from there, they sent me to the uh, the NAHL. So we'd always make a joke. One A away. We were one A away from the NHL. Um <laughs> So I went to Michigan Warriors, which is out of Flint, Michigan, and uh, finished the second half of the season there. Played pretty well that uh, the coach wanted me to come back and uh, play the next two full seasons there. Um, had a lot of real good sex, uh, success there. Uh, and then my fourth year junior started there. Um, got called up to the Chicago or no, no, got called up to the Waterloo Blackhawks first. Um, had a little bit of rough patch in there, but you know, that's to be expected. And then at the trade deadline, they had, uh, Waterloo and Chicago had made a trade earlier in the season for like a player to be named later. 
And uh, I happened to be the player to be named later because Chicago had had a, uh, a goalie go down with a concussion and they needed somebody. So uh, went there and uh, I think I almost helped them get into the playoffs, but we fell just a few points short. So I know goalies tend to have different types of personalities that people like to describe. Clearly, you got to have one to be a goalie. I mean, you're stopping pucks, big guys running at you. What made you decide to be a goalie in the first place, man? Uh, you know, like I, it kind of started back in like that mini mite era when you're like five, six, just starting to play. And, um, you know, uh, you, everybody gets a turn to play goalie. And uh, I, I just found it to be so much fun. Uh, I wonder if it's the the dark sense of humor I've always had or the sadistic sense of humor I've had. And that, you know, runs with my family that I found it more enjoyable to rob the joy from someone. than the, it, That was to me more fun than scoring. So to, to watch someone's face go from like the epitome of the highest of high to then just me have a glove or a blocker or a stick or a pad or something, anything, make a save and keep it out of the net and watch them go from here and just absolutely plummet. That to me was way more enjoyable than to watch a puck go in the net. So, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know what, where in the sadistic brain of mine that that came from, but I, that was to me always more fun. And, and I loved every minute of it. And uh, I think uh, when I was when I was five to six, we uh, my dad and I went to a hockey camp uh, up in Minnesota called Heartland Hockey Camp. I believe it's still running. And we ran into Curtis Joseph and we told him that, hey, I'm pretty serious. I want to get playing the goalie more. What do you have any advice? And he said, um, your six year old year play half the season, a player half the season as goalie. You know, you still like playing goalie, play the next full season as a goalie. And then if you hate it completely go back to player, you haven't really missed any development. But if you love it, you stick with it and you go. And my seven-year-old year, played the full year as a goalie, and I've never looked back. Wow. So we're starting to hear so much about the USHL, the NAHL. A lot of guys getting drafted from those, eventually making it to the big leagues, NHL. Talk to us a bit about those leagues. I know you talked about a little bit about the time with your teams there, but maybe some similarities or how they're starting to become a much more talented pool in those leagues. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Um, well, when I was playing in those leagues, the, the USHL was a much more skilled league. Um, the, the NAHL was a little bit more of the grinder league, a little bit more of the, um, you know, just dump and chase, bang bodies, and ironically, moving ahead in this, I found the NAHL correlated a lot more to college hockey. Um, it was a lot more like college hockey because college hockey for most programs was dump the puck in, chase it, hit the defenseman, try to force a turnover, get pucks to the net. And, uh, you know, the USHL was a lot more of a skill game. Like, let's try to carry the puck over the blue line. Let's try to control the puck possession in zone time and not just throw shots from everywhere. I mean, when I was in the, the, in the Nall, I remember I had a guy take a slap shot, a left-hander, a left-handed shot, take a slap shot from below the goal line on my blocker side and try to go off the side of my head and in. So, I mean, his blade was basically on the end wall and he just turned and tried to take a slap shot off my head. And, I, you know, the amount of shots I would see a game in the, in the, in the NHL was ridiculous. I think by the end of my career, I think I was averaging in the high 30s shots a night. So just the amount of exposure, the amount of pucks I saw, the opportunities, the the, the situations um, really made a difference because, you know, you're just seeing pucks from everywhere. And it was just like, okay, 
So there was nothing really that could surprise me, if you could say. Um, so, you know, but as, I, as I've grown up and I've seen more of these, more and more of these kids come out of the, the NHL, more out of the USHL, I'm starting to hear that the gap is kind of closing. You know, it is the USHL is still very, very skill based, but the NAL is also up to their skill base. And it's not such a grinder, you know, fighting league that it kind of used to be when I was in it. So being a kid from small town, St. Charles, Missouri, you know, we're looking and we're seeing a lot of players coming from Missouri and, and the state of Missouri in general, whether it's the NHL or pro hockey. We're starting to see more come from there and living in Oklahoma now. You know, my father and I are from Boston, but we've been living in Oklahoma the past 10 years. We live in a place where hockey's barely recognized as a sport unless they're Tulsa Oilers fan. Um, what is it about Missouri that's churning out all these pro athletes, not even including the other organizations and other sports, but hockey in general? I'm surprised. Well, you know, what it was, was when I was growing up there, you know, there was only one of the AAA program. So that major hockey program. And, you know, you, you just kind of had the team just had to pick from what we had. You know, you had to, you didn't necessarily always get the best players. You just had to take what we had. Um, but as more and more progressed, more blues players and everything kind of retired in St. Louis, stayed in St. Louis because, you know, St. Louis kind of gets a bad rep for being a dangerous city, and it's really not. You know, there's a few spots of downtown St. Louis that can be tough and, you know, get you into trouble. But for the most part, the St. Louis area where, where I live out in St. Charles, uh, Chesterfield, Kirkwood, all these areas that are like little suburbs are beautiful, great areas that just churn out, um, you know, it's a very athletic-based town. I mean, we have the Cardinals. We have we used to have the Rams, but that's a whole other story for another day. But, uh, you know, it, it's a very passionate sports city. So, you know, people want their kids to play sports. People are pushing their kids to play sports. And then, like I said, you get St. Louis Blues players that decide, hey, I'm going to – I retired as a Blue. I really loved my time here in St. Louis. And they stay and they settle. And then they get their kids into the Blues program. And then they decide, you know, I'm not fully done with hockey. Let me coach. I want to be a coach in the AAA Blues program. So then you have Al McKinnis. You have Keith Kachuk. You've got – some of the like some great blues players that have come through that then decide to stay there and and raise their kids there. So the Chucks that you know grew up playing the AAA blues program and and it was a lot of the years below me, you know. So like my birth year, the '94 birth year, we we were kind of like one of the last birth years that didn't really have the big explosion of of these just unbelievable talented kids that just you know got drawn in by either the NHL players that are retired and their kids or just got drawn in by, Oh, Hey, we have a just recently retired NHLer as our head coach. So I think what it's become is more and more people are, are, you know, seeing that hockey is, you know, an Avenue of athletic out of St. Louis and more and more people are getting into that and taking hockey more seriously. Interesting. So I want to say back now onto your storyline. So you commit to Western Michigan university any story there on the decision leading there? I'm sure you probably had other offers or were you even thinking about maybe doing major junior leagues in Canada or anything? You know, I had one offer for major junior and I believe it was after my second. So my second year junior, my first full year with the Michigan Warriors. And I had a really good year and the Ottawa 67s called me and they were like, hey, we want you to come out, you know, come to training camp, this, that, whatever. And I told my coach in the North America in the Nall about it. And he goes, kind of was like, okay, here, 
here's something I want you to look up before you go do it. Go look up their go before you even look up their record. Go look at their goalies and go look up at their stats. I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I go and I look up. One goalie had like a 901 or a 905 save percentage, but like a five goals against average. And the other one had just below a 900 save percentage and like a seven goals against average. And what that tells you is they're making ni- almost 90% of the saves and they're still giving up anywhere between five to seven goals a night. So that just means yeah. there is no defense. There's nothing. So it's, you're just going to an absolute terrible looking team. That's going to just, you're going to get blown up every night. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's not good. Um, but as for college, you know, I, I actually didn't have as many offers as people would think, you know, I, I had at what time I had, I was talking to, um, you know, I had Western, I had UMass Lowell very briefly. I had Colorado college. And then the only one that, you know, it stings, but you know, who knows where I would have been and where I'd be now with my life. Uh, I had BU, but there wasn't no scholarship there. They wanted me to come in as a walk-on and, um, I just couldn't put my family and, you know, my parents through that of being a, whatever that would be like close to a $60,000 walk on to play college hockey and everything up at BU, which unbelievable. I mean, you know, I was able to go up there and visit and I was like, this is beautiful. This is unbelievable, but I just, I can't put my family in that. And that ended up actually being the year, the year before I went to college was the year that uh, BU lost to Providence in the national championship. So uh, it was the year that Eichel and Matt O'Connor, the goalie, were for B, was playing for BU, and it was kind of a huge upset that Providence beat them. And, uh, was, and Matt O'Connor was like the best goalie in college hockey, and he just had a terrible game. And uh, the next day, the, the assistant coach who I was talking to, he calls me at like 10 and 10, between 10 and 11 a.m. and goes, first thing, I said, hey, coach, what's going on? And his first words out, would you have made that save? And he was referring to the what ended up being the game-winning goal, which was a high flip on Matt O'Connor. And he kind of went up to catch it, almost like a pop fly, and he dropped it. And it went straight down between his legs and trickled in. And that ended up being the game winner. And me as a me as a 20-year-old, almost 21-year-old, I'm sitting there going, I've never played college hockey. I've never been in a national championship game. I have no idea what these pressures are hell yeah, I'm going to lie. And I'm going to say, I'd make that save 10 times out of 10. Um, You know, and I was, you know, truly trying to hope that they could give, if they could have given me any kind of scholarship, you know, any scholarship at all, I I was, I was going to probably commit there. And that was, and that was even with very close conversation with both my parents, but especially my dad, Um, you know, just like you were very close with your dad, my dad and I are, he's one of my best friends. I talk to him every single day, multiple times a day, but also, even from another side, my dad also was a pro athlete. My dad played pro tennis back in the, the 60s and 70s. So he lived that life. He understood it was like he had tons of college offers to go for baseball and tennis is what he played, ended up choosing. But he had lots of scholarships and offers and everything. So he knew the ropes of what to go through. And I'm like, Dad, I want to go to BU. BU would be unbelievable. He's like, Trev, I know I would love for you to go there. He's like, but we just can't do that. He's like, can't do that unless you're going to get some form of scholarship. He's like, that's just going to be, you're going to be in debt for pretty much the rest of your life. If you, if you go there with that, I was like, I get it. And, uh, you know, so I kind of whittled it down. I I cut Colorado college out. I I didn't really, I didn't really enjoy my time when I went out there and the arena was kind of, it was before they got their brand new arena that they just got within the last year or so. Um, 
And it really got down to be UMass Lowell and Western. And UMass Lowell, um, if I had to be honest, the in, first impression, the arena was better. I, the arena and the facility looked beautiful and it was better than Lawson at, at Western. But the, the campus and everything was just kind of, I don't know, dingy. And I was just like, I, I didn't really enjoy it there. I just kind of looked at it. I was like, you know, looks like crap. Kind of like I'm looking around. I, was like, eh, I just don't like being here. Like didn't, didn't have a good feeling. And when I went to Western, it, you know, not to say anything, and I love Lawson to death because it grew on me as a, as a, one of the most electric college hockey barns in all of college hockey, because, you know, one entire side of the arena is a student section. So it's wow. just students shoulder to shoulder, however many rows up, I'm trying I'm drawing a blank on. Top 10, if not top five of college student sections every single year. They're just nuts. It was a little bit of a smaller arena, a little bit, you know, older school. And, and that's what makes it, though, fun. But the campus, though, was where I was like, wow, I really love this campus. Like, it's a fun campus. Like, you can just kind of feel the energy of that. This felt like a good place. And uh, I ended up committing there and, you know, started. I'd signed up for classes. I'd started doing the summer training. And uh, BU ends up calling me back and saying, hey, we're able to get you, like, 15% scholarship because Eichel ended up, you know, moving on to Buffalo and whatever. And I was like, I'm already committed. I'm sorry. I, I, I know I've made my commitment. I'm gone here. And, and I'm one of those people that once I've made my mind, that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm not going to, I can't second guess it because if I start second guessing it, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, so, yeah, it, it stings and you look at it retrospective, like, oh, what could have been, what if. But at the end of the day, I, I, the friends I've made, the people I, I, I've learned, I've you know, come across that have made huge impacts on my life and, you know, people that are extremely special to me, like my girlfriend of almost six years, I wouldn't have met her if I wanted to be you. And so, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. I, who knows? Maybe I'd be farther. Maybe I would just be a normal average Joe working a job. I right. Don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. And you can't, in my mind, look back and sit there and go, ah, what could have been? So not to get off topic or anything, but just because we made, uh, mentioned the Canadian Junior Leagues, what is your opinion as a goalie about the new fight ban in the queue? Do you agree with it? Do you, do you think people are over-exaggerating? Because obviously the enforcer role is gone. We know that. But as a goalie, do you think people are being over-dramatic when they're like, you need that, that policing of players? Or do you think, ah, if they suspend them, they'll probably stop? Like, what do you think about that? You know, it doesn't seem like the players have a problem with it. So I don't understand what the issue is. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but. I, you know, I, I feel like there are probably some players that may have problem with it, but they're more drowned out, you know, especially at that age, you know, you're, you're still growing. You're still, you know, as, as males, we don't stop growing until you're like, what, in your early twenties. And then you're kind of done. You're fully developed physically and everything like that. And, you know, it, Fighting can be super hard. I mean, this past season, I played in my time in the SPHL, and this is going ahead of my story, but, you know, there was a kid that was on our team that our coach just pretty much treated him like he was our fighter. And he just straight up, like, that was it. He literally had him start uh, a three-game back, like three nights in three days, literally put him on the first, like, the opening draw and was like, you're fighting this kid right off the hop. Our coach telling him that in the, before the game. And like, and, and I feel bad because the guy 
you know, like he was like, yep, nope, that's my role. And it's like, you're a good hockey player. Like you have right. skill. And like, but that's all in his head. He could see him as was a fighter himself. That's all he could see himself as. And, you know, you, I could see how hard that is on his mental, you know, where his mentality, his mental being about himself, but also, you know, physically, I mean, I, I, I saw when I was in the, you know, the doll, I watched kids just shatter their hands, you know, yeah. or, you know, take a, take a punch and shatter their orbital bone. And there goes their career because, you know, their face is growing, their bones aren't a whole fully developed and whatever. And then like their orbital bone is crushed in and then they're really never able to play again because their eye is more exposed than it could be, you know? And so I see parts of it with injuries and things like that, that like there, there's, you know, you're eliminating that aspect of it. But at the same point, I see the side of the policing, the game, a way of changing the momentum of the game, you know, you can, you can, there can be good aspects of fighting. You know, you can get a bit of an aggression. Out. You got somebody that's been out there that's being our little rat of a player and, and you just go, okay, take him off the board, send a message. Like that ain't going to be tolerated. Like, you know, you got a guy that maybe isn't fully a fighter on the other team, but he's sitting there doing, you know, spearing your guy, your, some of your best players, he's hacking them in the, in the Achilles, getting them in the kidney shots. Sometimes you got to send a, a big, big M effort out there to just beat the hell out of it. And you're like, listen, play, we'll play the game fair, but if you're not going to play it fair, why are we playing it fair kind of thing? So right. I, I see both sides, but I, I, in my opinion, and I, you know, I'm, maybe I'll get, you know, canned for this. And I, I kind of agree with the juniors part of, you know, kind of limiting the fighting because again, you're not fully physically developed. And again, kids are like, well, I want to just go out there and I want to fight. No, you don't. Those are kids that have never been in a fight. And once you've right. ever been in an actual fight, you sit there and go, I never want to be in a fight again. Unless you're really like someone that wants to constantly be in fights is almost crazier than a goalie. And I'll say that. And I will stand on that hill and I will die on that hill because yeah. I'm taking pucks coming at me hard, but I have full equipment on that's going to hit me. And I'm like, okay, maybe that stung a little bit, but it's not going to permanently mess me up. You stand there and you're just taking straight knuckles to your face. That can permanently mess you up mentally, physically, everything, all of the above. So, you know, like I said, I think in the juniors world, I think maybe limiting it to not to maybe completely a ban, you know, you got to, and again, that's where it gets tricky. You got to, you know, it's got to be part of watching the game. You got to see like, okay, hey this team's playing a real clean game, but then this team's being chippy and, and doing stuff. Maybe you need somebody on the clean team to go out there and clean house and clean up the game a little bit. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's time to, you know, do that in pro because pro is already limited it pro fight pro hockey yeah. is already, the fighting is already way down than it used to be, you know? And, and that's, that is part of hockey is that there is that self policing because you have referees, but they're human. They miss things. It's easy for, you know, you're watching the game and instead of like you see something going on over here, but the puck's over here and you're like, it's hard for you to be like, it's hard and natural instinct because you're like, oh, the puck is the main aspect of the game. I got to watch the puck. And it's hard to, to differentiate that and be like, okay, hey, the puck's over here in this little puck battle. I'm going to take my eyes off that. And I'm going to look at what's going on over here with these two guys beating the hell out of each other it's it's sometimes it just gets missed and you know that's when you need that little bit of policing 
Yeah, I was curious of your opinion on that, especially as a goalie, because you know you always hear people saying about policing it. Mostly the goalies are standing in front of the net, hacking away. But to get back on topic now, a couple of questions, especially some questions my father would like to ask. Going back to your college days real quick before we hop into your pro stuff, did you ever have a goalie coach in college? And if you didn't or did, who who said anything to you? Did it? Most of the time when we talk to coaches, especially ECHL, college level, they normally say, no, we don't have a goalie coach. And no, we don't say anything to the goalie normally. They just do their own thing. What was your experience? So we had a, a goalie coach. Um and his name, he, you know, he did, a, he did a decent job. You know, he, he was a little bit of an older school guy. So, um, you know, we, we kind of fell into ruts sometimes of just kind of doing the same things, and the same responses to things. And it was never really bad, but it sometimes never really felt like you were getting better. Um, so it was nice to have somebody there, but at the same time, when you, you didn't really feel like you were getting more positive, like not necessarily positive feedback, but feedback that was constructive to build on, you were just kind of like, okay, well, what's the point of this? Like, um, you know, one of my good friends and old roommate is now the goalie coach at Western. And, you know, he was a former goalie himself. And uh, he now, you know, does a lot of the goalie coaching and the stuff that like we did when we were training, like outside of it, like we would go to a different goalie coach in the summer and train and he now takes that and does that with the western goalies now um so it's it was weird because it was like you had somebody but it was like you didn't always have somebody you felt like you were kind of out on an island at times but then you all you did have somebody technically so it was like a weird gray area of like you have a coach but sometimes i wasn't getting coached if that makes sense yeah absolutely so at the tail end of your senior year, I noticed that this is a fairly common occurrence, and I never knew this until we started interviewing some players, but you did sign a contract, and correct me if I'm wrong, with the Toledo Walleye right after your college hockey season ended, correct? So you're still technically a student or finishing up and then going into pro. What was that like? Because that jump's got to be crazy. At least he's different. Actually, it was crazy, but it was actually so- – I don't know. It's going to, I guess you could say it sounds cocky. It was easy. Um, especially for what happened because we lost in the first round of our playoffs for our, our conference, uh, to Colorado college. And, um, I then, and then, you know, I'm not even afraid to tell this anymore because it's been years now. So it's not like we can get in trouble for it. I went on a 10 day bender with the rest of my team. Mm. Uh, we, so the other three seniors, they all signed, they had all signed contracts to go play in the AHL and one signed one in the ECHL. And, um, you know, my agent comes to me and he's like, Hey, there's only like three weeks left in the season. Not many teams are going to be looking for goalies right now. Enjoy being a student for the first time. Like not the student athlete, enjoy just being a regular student for the rest of your senior year and then get to work in summer training and be ready to go for next year. So I was like, Sweet. So I, you know, being a normal student and, you know, enjoying partying with my, the rest of my guys, the juniors, the sophomore, you know, everybody that was legal and doing all that and just having a great time being a normal college student. And I woke up and it was, I'll never forget it because I never get it. I can never live it down. It was the day before my girlfriend's birthday and I wake up and I'm like, you know, I am, I'm hungover. I feel like hell. 
I'm going to go sit in the sauna. I'm going to go get a light workout. I need to, I need to do something productive. I've been doing nothing but beer, junk food and whatever for the last like 10 days. I am awful. Like I need to do something. And next thing you know, um, I'm having these thoughts. I'm starting to slowly get up and my phone rings and it's my head coach. And Hey, I just got off the phone with your agent. Uh, we might've found you a place to play for the rest of the year. Give him a call. And I'm sitting there going, Oh, oh, we're in trouble. So I call my agent. He's like, Hey, uh, Toledo needs a goalie, uh, both a Red Wings goalie and the Grand Rapids Griffin goalie both got hurt last night. So both goalies from Toledo are going up. They have nobody you're going and you're playing. And I go, okay, when do they need me by? And they go, he goes, well, they might need you tonight. And I, and I, 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 I'm in, and I'm in an absolute panic mode and I have, I have option A or I have option B. And right. option A is I and go, okay, I'll be there. Or option B, tell the truth and say, I haven't touched the ice since we lost the, the season. I went with the truth and I was like, Loose, listen, I, I haven't touched the ice since the season ended kind of thing. I don't know if I can be there tonight. I don't know if I'd be worth the shit, basically. And he goes, okay, I'll call them and say, you can't be there tonight, but they need you tomorrow. So he's like, so get a skate. Get something and then get here because they want you to here after uh, to be here for the end of the game tonight. Like be here for the game tonight, kind of thing. Uh, so you can sign your contract, do your physical and whatever, and then you can be there for a morning skate and then go right into the game. I was like, okay. So and my girlfriend is like sitting there and she's like, what's going on? And like I didn't have to break the news because we had had birthday plans and everything like that. And so yeah, that was a that was a tough one to break to her. Uh, that's oh, what I mean. I'll never live it down. But uh, so I, I, you know, I texted in our team group chat. I was like, hey, boys, I need I need you guys. I need some guys to come to the rink and run me through a skate. I'm playing pro hockey tomorrow and I need to go. I ended up having almost our entire guy, team of guys that were that were still there show up, get like half dressed and run me through. And, and you know, and this is where I can't talk you know, say too much badly about our the goalie coach and lack thereof or what anything. He showed up and ran me through like a 45 minute, almost an hour goalie session with the shooters and my teammates running me through stuff, just get me a sweat, get me to feel pucks and so on and so forth. And then I pretty much just threw my car, my threw my bag in the car and drove to Toledo. And uh yeah, so it was it was a bit of a wild ride to get there. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting story. I'm sure she'll never give that up. But that but that's funny. That's a good story. Um, I do want to ask this, though. Um, I like to ask uh, the athletes this because a lot of us, uh, I'll say the normal couch folks, we, you know, when the COVID happened, everybody's got their own thing. But, you know, as, as somebody that's trying to be a professional musician, it destroyed the music industry. I couldn't tour. Uh, we couldn't do a lot of things, couldn't get paid. I couldn't imagine what it would be for a professional athlete. You guys are relying on this to make money. And I know a lot of people probably realize by now, if you're in the ECHL, you're not making the big bucks. Most guys are probably working a summer job. So when that happened during that time, what was going through your head? How did you stay up to, to par? Like, what, what was your situation during COVID? Well, during COVID, uh, I it was a w bit of a weird, like that was my, I think technically my rookie season. So I had signed with Reading and this is, this will be real quick. I signed with Reading. They'd kind of made some promises and that kind of fell through. And so I had ended up going down to the, in, in, a, in a span of a week, in a span of a week at, at uh, so I was in Reading from the start of the season till New Year's 
New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Eve game. They release me. Um, I ended up going down to the SBHL down in Fayetteville. And I was in Fayetteville for two weeks. I played, I was there for two weekends. I played two, uh, played three games and I ended up getting called back up to Toledo. So this is where I say in the span of a week, I went from the SBHL to Toledo, played a game pretty much as soon as I got back, uh, won three, two in a shootout over Fort Wayne. And then after that game, like three days later, I get a call. Uh, the Chicago Wolves want to call me up and have me come back up uh, for a weekend in Chicago because they really liked it because they were um, – because Vegas – it was Vegas's uh, ECHL team was, is, um, was Fort Wayne, and then their AHL team at the time was Chicago. And they were apparently at the, the Fort Wayne Toledo game and they apparently really liked what they'd saw. And they were like, Hey, we want to take a closer look at you and brought me up for a, uh, a weekend to be there. And so, like I said, in a span of like a week, I went from SPHL to uh, coast to AHL. And then after that weekend came back to the ECHL and pretty shortly after that season was canceled. We played one here in Toledo. We played one game with no fans in the stands, none at all. And I remember I was a healthy scratch and I was in the stands because I have a picture of it. I took a Snapchat and I sent it to some of my friends. I was like, tonight's game sponsored to you by coronavirus and like red letter, like, I, you know, making a joke of it. And we played the game and the next day we get a text. Hey guys, everybody come in. We have a meeting. We come in. Season's canceled. Here's your last paycheck. Here you go. Oh, that was it. And, and there was no more. There, here's your last paycheck. Thanks. Go home. And we were like, what? So, and, and, you know, I had already planned on um, staying in Toledo because my goalie coach is only like an hour up the road into Michigan. Um, it's not too far from my parents in St. Louis. Yeah. It's like six hours, but still like, that's not terrible. And my, uh, my girlfriend and her best friend were living still in Kalamazoo at the time and they were working or whatever. So I was here and, you know, I, I went through a pretty dark time because I was kind of all alone. I was here in Toledo by myself. I didn't have anybody. So I, um, I decided to still have, I still had like the team apartment and we were, I was paying the rent on it and everything, but I was like, I gotta, I gotta be around people. I gotta be around people. So I, I packed up pretty much all my stuff and I went back to Kalamazoo and I stayed with my girlfriend and her friend and who's also one of my best friends. And we all were friends in college. So we stayed and we, you know, for a time, we were all just being lazy idiots, doing nothing because everything was closed. And uh, right. finally, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. I'm, I'm getting fat. I'm getting out. Uh, like, I'm doing, I, I got to work out. And I start, started doing workouts at home, like home workouts and running and all that. And it just be, kind of became an, just a mental grind of, okay, we're going to get through this. There's still going to be hockey, whether it's in, because, you know, for a while you kept hearing, oh, it'll, Everything will reopen in three months. Everything will open in six months. Everything will open in nine. And it just kept getting more and more and more. So I was like, okay, hockey will be back. Sports will be back. And if I can, if I want to continue on this, I need to be ready for that to come back. So I was like, what can I do? And so I was working out as much as I could, you know, not being able to get into a gym. I mean, I think we, we, we ordered some, Amazon weights and stuff like that, that we could do some workouts and stuff at home and just to try to just do something. And, um, 
you know, eventually when it rolled around again and it sounded like we were going to have that season of COVID where you were going to be doing testing and you're going to have to play. And, oh, I, be, I became an absolute suitcase because I was, you know, supposed to play with Toledo um, and Toledo ended up not playing. So we were Toledo, the walleye were supposed to play and the Ohio governor had originally signed off for the, the walleye to get, I believe it was 3000 fans in the arena, which would have been like still virtually empty for this arena. I mean, if you ever have a chance, if you ever get a chance to come to the Huntington center, I would, it's one of the most electric places in the ACHL. It's, it's the atmosphere is the atmosphere is as great as I would say in AHL to NHL teams. I mean, they are sold out virtually every game. Um, it's, and that's, and you don't get that a whole lot in the ECHL and, you know, right. Um, even though I don't play for the wall anymore, I still tell people like, Hey, uh, if you want to go to best place to play in the coast, I'll give you Dan Watson's phone and you can go there and hopefully try to go play for the walleye because you'll never want to play anywhere else. Um, wow. So wow. It's, they treat you as nice here in Toledo for the walleye uh, than NHL teams. I mean, you break your stick, your equipment manager is already handing you a new one. You know, I've been on some teams where you break a stick and they're like, Hmm. Did you break it in practice or did you break it in a game? Well, it doesn't matter. I broke it. Yeah. Like I need a new skin. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're just like, what, what, what are we doing? So, um, you know, so I ended up once. Uh, oh, so we had, they said 3000 fans. And then right as we were getting to, you know, zoom call in and, you know, say, Hey, we're going to be playing the Ohio governor's office calls our team and everything like that. And says, um, cut a zero off the end of that. We're only going to let you have 300 fans. And the organization was like, we can't do this. We, we wouldn't like, we would lose so much money kind of thing. Right. And you know, we all understood that. And at that very moment, literally our entire team went poof, into free agency. So we literally just became picked from any and every team that needed somebody. And, you know, again, that was a little bit of a, a mind, you know, like, Oh my God, what are we going to do now? What am I going to do? All these teams already have goalies. Like what am I? And so I, I still was just skating with my goalie coach, trying to be ready go. And then um, I got a call. Uh, I was on the plane to join Wichita down in Allen, Texas. And as I'm boarding the plane, the coach from Wichita calls me and goes, Hey, don't get on the plane. We have a touch of COVID. So Uh, okay, so fly to Allen, we'll put you in the hotel, and then we'll fly you to Wichita the next Okay. And uh, so I tell, I text my agents, hey, there's no games this weekend. They have COVID. You know, they're not even coming. And he goes, did you sign anything? I was like, no, I didn't sign anything. So he's like, okay, let me go to work. I was like, go to work? What are you going to do? So mid-flight, my, co my, my agent texts me and says, okay, Jacksonville wants you. So I was like, okay, how the hell am I going to get to Jacksonville? He's like, buy a plane ticket from your plane. And then like, so I land in Dallas. The only plane and the only flight available was one that was leaving like 30 minutes after I landed in Dallas. Of course. And I was like a $400 first class seat. So, and what nobody tells you is that even though it's, it's, you know, you're still getting on another flight, it's not a connecting flight. So I had to go through baggage claim, get my bag, go back through quick security and then home alone to it, sprint through the airport to try and catch this plane. And literally, they're like, last call for flight to Jacksonville, looking for Trevor Gorsuch as they're like closing the door. And I'm like, I'm here. 
I'm here. And I'm like sprinting and I'm just leaking in sweat. And I end up, you know, like, so I ended up going to Jacksonville. Um, the coach down there was, was not the best and, you know, kind of made some, it's a different coach now. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad for that with Charles, you know, he's a great guy and I know you guys had him on and, you know, he's a great guy and I trained with him in the summer and I couldn't meet a nicer human, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he kind of, the coach there kind of, you know, messed with me a bit and, you know, made some promises and things and eventually just goes, uh, yeah, we're just going to release you. I was like, okay. So I ended up coming back to Toledo where uh, my girlfriend had then moved and, uh, you know, we were staying here and a week later I, uh, drive out to Salt Lake city, Utah to join the Utah Grizzlies. From there, I drove from, after I was there for a while, uh, they ended up getting, their goalies back from the AHL and everything. So their affiliates had to come back and there was no room. So I then went down to the SPHL again and down to Macon. And then from Macon, I went to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And, and I finished uh, my, my finish to the year was in, in Fort Wayne. I, I didn't get to stay on for playoffs, but um, you know, I played a few games there and then I was like, okay, I, I you know, I got something like, I want to say close to 18 games or something that year. And I was like, that's, that's a good amount of games to stay ready. And I've at least played this year. Um, whereas lots of guys just sat out, didn't play. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take a whole basically. Cause if I had taken that year off, that's a year and a half off of hockey because right. the year before cut in half. And I was like, I fit, like I can't do that. I need, I need to have games if I want to have a career. And so you just, I just had to make those sacrifices of going all over hell's half acre to find games. Well, and it kind of was leading to my next question because I noticed during that COVID time you were a bit of a suitcase, and I was going to ask what was the craziest story of getting told you were moving. Would I assume that was the plane story, basically, just getting the news that you're leaving? It was. It was more just like you're. You know, that one, the plane story, that was that was just craziness. But you know, it was kind of like I got to Jacksonville. I was in Jacksonville. I didn't get to play any of the games. But then they had an affiliate goalie come down. So then I was I was booted out because then they had affiliation goalies that were from like the AHL and everything like that. And then, so I then went to Salt Lake City, Utah, and I was there and I was playing games. I was the starter while I was there. And then they got their affiliate goalies back. So my dad and I, you know, he my dad, like I said, my dad being a former pro athlete was always in my ear, giving me the positive and the coaching of, OK, this is how you got to look at it. You can't look at it. You've been. You're cut. It's not that they said, hey, you suck. Get out of here. It was, we can't keep you. Like, right. we want you, but we can't keep you. And he was like, you got to look at it like uh, you were, and this is the analogy we said, we always said, he was like, you were like a gunslinger from the old West, going town to town and fixing a problem from when they had one. And then it was on to the next town. And right. that's pretty much what I was doing. I, I was going there. I was filling a role. I was doing a job. And then, they had their people come back and everything was fine. I then had to move on to the next town. And, you know, that was, that was, that mentality is what really helped me get through it because otherwise I, I you know, it's really tough to keep just yeah. moving around. Yeah. Um, so last question, man, before we get into our lightning round questions and I'll explain what we do there in just a second, but do you have any update or able to tell the fans where you will be next season or any idea if you can say? So, you know, nothing's official, obviously. It's still a little too early as the, you know, the ECHL season just ended, uh, I guess, last night, actually. A buddy of mine yeah. was on Florida. 
you know, hoisted the cup, a good friend of mine, uh, Logan Lambden down there. And, you know, I know a bunch of other guys down there, great guys, uh, great group of guys. I'm happy for them. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I was put on uh, the Wichita Thunders protected list and, you know, all signs are pointing to there. Uh, we had a really good meetings and everything when I left there at the end of this past season. So uh, all signs are pointing towards me going back to Wichita and I would love to be there, but time will tell and we'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks when uh, contract signings start. So that's where awesome. I mean, I'd be happy to go back there and I'd love to go back there, but, you know, nothing, nothing set in stone yet. Absolutely. So for the lightning round question, man, it's going to be like quick popcorn questions to you. It could either be one word answer. If you got a story, the floor is yours. Okay. But this will make you think uh, a little bit. You're fine. That's fine. First one, good to me. Who is or was the toughest score you faced? Just somebody that every time you came on the ice, they were just able to pepper something by you or just they get always shots on net. Somebody you hated. I don't necessarily hate him. But I, and I hate to give him any credit because I, I feel like you might hear this a guy named Brandon Hawkins plays for Toledo Walleye. Guy's got an absolute rip of a shot. And the thing about it is he also has one of the most deceptive releases and he throws out the changeup shot. And he did it to me in the preseason game two years ago. He came down after he'd already ripped like four or five shots, just blistering them. And then he gets a kind of a partial breakaway. And I think I'm like preparing for a hard shot. And then he just flicks a little, little change up, goes right under my glove, right over the pad. And then he's giggling and smiling at me and going, Hey, I got you, Gorsi, as he's skating away. And I'm like, you. So, and we, and he still gigs me about it to this day. But, you know, I, I, I get to get him back and I get to tell him, you know, what about the, glo the windmill glove save from the bottom hash mark when he had the, basically a wide open net? So. Yeah, I'd say that guy, he, he, any chance he gets, he throws pucks at me and, you know, I, I never know what the hell he's going to do. So I, that guy, I love him, but as a, playing against him is tough. Do you have any pregame superstitions or rituals? Anything weird? Um, I always find wherever arena, if I can, if I can get up into the stands, I always go either section D row. Uh, yes, no. What is it? Yeah, section D, row seven, seat eleven. So my middle name is Donovan, um, and section seven for July, seat eleven. My birthday, seven eleven. Uh, I always sit there, and then when I'm taping my stick, uh, I'm not an overly religious person, but I did grow up Catholic, and um, you know I still have those beliefs down, and and I believe in that. And I, when I'm taping my stick, I always rip off a, a tape, a cross tape, or tape of a cross that's made out of tape. Let's put it that way. And I always stick it to the back of a chair. Um, and it's, and then if we're playing like a multi-game series, I always go back to that and I peel off that cross. I fold it up nice and neat. And I put a new one there the next day. And I mean, I've even gone back to arenas like two, three months later and it's still there. Um, so it's wow. just funny that that's just been a routine of mine that it's, it's there. And that's something I've, I've done since I was in college. And it's just something that like I do it. And it's just part of my, I guess it's like, Hey, I'm not a big person of prayer. Like for me, it's hard for me to do that, but it's me of like, okay, Hey, this is my version of prayer. I I'm, I'm, I'm you. I love you. You're a big part of my life. You've been a part of my life, my whole life. This is for you. I'm doing this. So, so not to get off topic, but I, I do like to ask the goalies this. I've gotten some very funny and interesting answers. Um, what do you think of the goalies that, you know, that those videos that go viral of them doing the, 
the, you know, the, all the weird things that they're doing to warm up and all these different things like uh, Hellebuck and Holtby and all those guys. Do you la- like when you see those things from those type of goalies when it goes viral, do you kind of laugh? Are you like, yeah, that's not what we do? Or, or is it like, no, we are, we do do stuff like that to warm up? Everybody's got their own quirks. Everybody's got their weird things. I, I feel like I don't really do anything weird on the ice because, you know, for me, I don't need to or not need to. That sounds bad. It's never really been something for me. Um, you know, everybody does something different. Everybody does their own thing. Um, you know, like I, I just like to keep things fun and loose. I mean, I guess if you want to call it that, I sing and I kind of like bob my head and dance to the music in warm ups. Pardon me. In warm ups in the game. So like when I'm skating around in the corners, like after whistles or even like during the period, like, you know, while I'm sitting there, I'm just kind of like I'm singing along to the music that's playing in the arena just to keep myself nice and loose and relaxed. Um, so, you know, we all do something weird. Everybody's got, like I said earlier, every, you got to be a little weird and a little different to play goalie. And uh, you all have your own little thing that helps you stay loose, stay focused, stay relaxed. Which arena has had the worst ice conditions so far in your career? Oh, Taking a tally, by the way, we've, we've heard, we've, we've got a tally going. So I'm curious what your opinion is. Oh, man. Worst ice. Um, well, I played 50 out of 72 games there two years ago. Kalamazoo was pretty bad. Um, uh, God, I'm trying to think. How, how was Florida? We always hear Florida is normally pretty bad, of course, with the weather and everything. It got to be pretty bad, like late in the game, just because it's so hot. Like all of those, all of those southern rinks get to just be because it's so hot outside that, like, no matter how cold you try to keep the arena, it just the heat just permeates. So yeah, any of those Florida teams, like those southern teams, are pretty bad. Oh, South Carolina. Now that I'm now, now that you mentioned Southern South teams, Carolina. South Carolina yeah. was one of the South Carolina and Greenville might be two of the worst ice conditions I've ever played on. Um, Greenville, especially this past year when I took the call up to Florida, I tried to slide in warmups and I literally felt like I was on sandpaper. My pads went like I felt like I was on rumble strips. Oh, geez. Like, have you have you played at the BOK Center against Tulsa before? I have not yet. I have not been out that way. Um, I've played against Tulsa plenty of times, but I have not right. played at out in Tulsa yet. Well, I was so I was wondering. My dad would be the one to ask this question too. Um, you know, the main thing is their their boards. They always come apart. Like they got to put the plexiglass back on. And I swear to God, man, it's like every game we've gone to. You know, we have season tickets. It always happens, and, and the players can't do anything for like fifteen or twenty minutes. I don't know if you've experienced that at other arenas while playing at any level before. Does that kill the hype in the middle of the game when you're sitting there and you're just for 10, 15 minutes now, you're watching, you're in the middle of a uh, high-paced game and they're fixing stuff and you're like, come on, man. Yeah, it definitely kind of takes you out of it and it's hard to stay focused and into it. Um, I've had it happen a few times where, you know, the glass breaks or something happens. Um, I think probably the worst was in wheeling. And, uh, like one of the stanchions popped off and, and something happened and, and the guys came out to fix it, but brought no tools to fix it. And they're trying to fix it with their hands. And then they get out there and they're like, Oh, we needed this. And like, literally it was like, it was, it was almost comical. They're like, Oh, we need a screwdriver. And they like, it was like a cartoon. They brought the wrong screwdriver and then I had to like go back. And I was just like, 
And you're just sitting just there and you're just like, this is yeah. your job. It's right. Your only job. How right. do you not either A, check these that make sure before the game or B, no, okay, I need this tool, this tool, and this tool. Bring them out here. It's so, yeah, it's sometimes it's, it's, you know, because, like, again, it's human nature. They've got nerves. They're like, oh, God, we got to fix the glass as fast as possible. Uh, I think in juniors we had the glass break, and then they, uh, they didn't have another section of that glass size, so they had to cut it a piece of glass. And then as they're carrying that out, one of the guys slipped, fell, broke the glass on the ice. They dropped the ice and it broke. So then they had to go. They had to, they literally sent the whole teams off. And we had like five minutes left in the third period too. So all of us had to get off the ice. They had to completely zam the ice to get all the, the glass off. And during that, they were cutting another piece of glass and put it in there. And we came out literally to just finish the last five minutes of the game. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, not to give any of the workers in Tulsa a hard time, but yeah, it's literally the same thing you watch them. They don't even bring out the tools and, you know, the fans get restless too. You're like, dude, the, the players are sitting there ready to go. And I can, I can just see that frustration. Like, dude, we got to play here. So what was the worst locker room you've been in? Any, any Danbury trashers type thing? Any just like, oh, it was just terrible. We've got a running pull with this too, though. Oof. Well, this one might be tough because they don't exist anymore. So you might not get any votes for this one. Uh, the Vermilion Bobcats. Oh, wow. In the okay. SPHL. That's so funny. Yeah. One of the worst locker rooms I've ever been in. A, because it was so small and cramped. Like, as a goalie, usually you have, like, almost two stalls to kind of, like, have some space. I, I was, like, shoulder to shoulder with somebody. It was hot. There was no, like, they didn't give us any tape, any fans, like nothing. We had to bring all that ourselves. Actually, we didn't even bring any of the first game because we didn't know that we needed to bring any. Or, like, they didn't, like, whatever. So, literally, we had to go, like, during the game, during the break, our, our equipment manager wasn't even on the bench, and we sent him out to go to, like, Walmart and go get some big fan, like, get some fans and stuff for us. But the worst part about it was it's, like, 25 to 30 stairs to get from where the arena is to the locker room. So you're going from like downstairs, like 20, 30 stairs to get to the ice. And then after a long, hard, hard fought period and all the goalie gear and whatever, trudging up like 30 stairs. Jeez, it, was, it was one of the worst, you know, designs I'd ever seen. And I, you know, honestly, I, there have been some bad locker rooms in the coast that I've, I've seen and been around, but I, I still don't think anything tops that one. Were the Vermilion Wildcats, were they the ones that just folded out of nowhere? Yep, they were the ones that just folded midseason. Just real quick, man, just because you were you, you played in the SPHL, what what was your reaction? Could you, like, could I, I feel for the players, obviously, the workers, that's got to be probably one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen in any type of minor professional league ever. I mean, we all kind of, like, anybody in that league kind of knew it was going to happen eventually. Um, the owner – Pretty, we all believe she was just owning it as a tax write-off. Um, she didn't care. Um, I mean, there were guys that, you know, they moved in their apartments. That's a nice part about the ECHL and the SP is, like, they provide the housing, internet, stuff in the apartments, like TVs, beds, things like that. Oh, okay, you know, that's good. Guys were talking about how they moved in. 
there's no TV, there's no internet, there's like nothing. And these guys are coming from Canada and they're whatever. So they're like, what do you like, what do you mean? There's no internet, there's no TV. So I got to go, I'm making 250 bucks a week and you're, I got to go buy a TV or I got to go pay for my own internet. And there was also some other shady things that the owner was doing. And uh, you know, so it was just kind of like, we all saw it and we were all just like, this is, this isn't going to end well. Um, and you know, obviously, yeah, then you feel terrible for those guys. And thankfully they all just kind of became free agents as soon as that officially folded. And, um, you know, they, they were able to go and still play somewhere, um, which was good for those guys. And, you know, like you said, you feel for the players and the workers, but yeah, then you, then it's like, what about those workers? What about the arena staff? What about like, now the arena staff was, it was kind of like a community rink, but like those other front office people, you know, like trying to support you're just like, what do you, what do they do now? Now they have no job and they have no credibility because they're like, Oh, you worked for a team that just decided to quit mid season. So. And, and sorry to stay on this too. It's just, that's one of the things that blew my mind, but uh, were you surprised the way that they folded with the other team showing up, doing the warm up, and then just realizing, I don't think the team's coming out. Or, or was no. that something like yeah, surprised? We, we all knew that that was probably going to happen. And we almost had to do that too. when I was down there with Evansville um, because technically the league, the, the, because what happened was there was only like 16 guys on the roster. So there wasn't even enough for a full team. There was only like 16 guys. They didn't have a, an equipment manager. They didn't have a coach and they had all they had was an athletic training. So there was no coach, no equipment manager, and they're like, and there's 16 guys, so not even enough for a full team. And there's the, the players are like sending in things and having their agents and whatever, like into the league. Like, listen, we have no coach, no equipment manager, nothing. Like, we can't, we aren't playing. We don't have enough guys and whatever. But then the owner kept saying, nope, we're playing. We're in. We're going to play. So the league was like, okay, well, the owner says they're going to play. So we had these are still games. They're not canceled. And so yeah, those the you know Quad City is who ended up doing that, and we had we had problems with with the, and a lot of the league had problems with what they did of you know showing up and then kind of making a mockery of it, like oh let's do a relay race and whatever. Right. Like they, they did some some dumb things that just made them look stupid. Um, right. You know the the classier thing would have been was you know you get there you you line up and obviously becomes a forfeit. Yeah, the only classy thing they did was salute the fans and do the skate with the fans after the game, the ones that showed up, the fans that showed up for that game. That was the only classy things to Quad City, and that's what they should have done. They should have given a salute like, hey, we're sorry that this happened, but thank you for showing up. That means a lot because whatever, skate with the fans and then go home. Not not do a stupid relay race and making a joke of it. Um, So, you know, that part didn't sit well with a lot of the league and whatever, but – you know, you had to still do it. You had to still show up until the league officially said, Hey, they folded, they're gone. It's done. So. Yeah. Just an interesting story. Well, just a few more quick lightning round, man. I know you're busy uh, taking up a lot of your time today, but toughest player you had to play against in front of the net. Is there any rats, anybody you're like, dude, if you come skate near in front of me in front of, again, I'm going to kill you. Um, I was big against him for a little bit, but then he was my captain one year. Uh, and he played for Tulsa during the COVID year, Justin Taylor. Oh, that yeah. guy, he he is 
not necessarily a rat, but he is just like a, I would almost put him as like for tipping and screening wise, like a, an equivalent to like a Joe Pavelski of the coast. Just yeah. so good at eating, feeling the body language of the goalie, like just screening, tipping and like could make things happen, you know, and, and just was tough, like tough to be, you try to pop him, you know, you try to bump him and get him to move. And he would just like, kind of like bump you back. And you're like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I can't get around him. I can't get a visual. So and he's a great guy. And he's one of the nicest guys I've ever been around and, and a great friend, but playing against him was hell. I mean, I, I, the amount of shots that I, I, if I made a save, I was completely blind and I was like, okay, glad I made the save, but don't know how. Um, yeah. Yeah. He would, I wouldn't say, you know, and again, it's hard to remember names of rats. Cause like I'm mad in that instance and I'm like, I hate you, but then I'm just like, I don't care enough about you. Go, go away. Kind of right. So what, what's the most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm up? Ever or like pro? Ever, um, especially got a good story. Okay. Yeah. Ever, uh, I was ten, and we were playing. I was playing for the AAA Blues. We were at the the tournament, like Silver Sticks tournament, which is like one of the biggest tournaments you play as a kid. And um, my team was winning something like ten nothing, and I think I had seen like seven shots all game. So I'm bored out of my mind. I'm just sitting in the net, head down. It's like seven minutes left to go in the game. And I'm sitting there with my head down and looking and, like, da, 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 da. and all of a sudden I see a puck and my head goes, Oh, that's interesting. And then the puck just keeps going. And I go, Oh my God, that's the puck. And uh, I then tried to fall over and stop it, but it went through my legs and into the net. Uh, they shot from the far end of the ice. Just kid just shot it from the far end right. and it just came all the way down. And I'm just head buried, not paying any attention. And we won the game. Like, 10 to one or whatever, but I gave up a goal from the other end of the ice and just nothing, no recollection, like didn't even try. Basically. I just <laughs> sat there and like what went through my head was, Oh, that's weird. Why is the puck here? Oh God, that's the puck. And it was yeah. already in. It's being a 10 year old. It's like when you're playing, uh, I'm sure you know, sure the same thing when you're playing baseball, you're sitting there in the outfield bored as hell. <laughs> then it comes at you. Well, um, I always played yeah. first. Third, so there was no being bored there. No, never. Um, so just the last question for you, man. I don't, I don't mean for this to sound too generic, but just the first thing that pops in your head when I say, what's been the most fond memory of your pro career so far? Or your career in general, if it was something happened in USHL or college too? Um, for most fun, I would have to say it's, it's a toss up between the two. One's a personal one, like success for me. And the other is just a, a cool atmosphere. So the personal success would be my senior year, you know, as a whole, having just a great senior year season, but, you know, winning the, the Vegas invitational tournament and being the MVP of the tournament was, was one of the coolest atmospheres I had ever gotten to be a part of. Um, it was like a, a two game tournament we played and I played really, really well and won the championship over air force and um, I played really solid and ended up winning MVP of the tournament. But the other one is just the atmosphere was the, the year I played the full season for Kalamazoo. Uh, we got to play an outdoor game here in Toledo. And that was one of the coolest I'd never got. I'd never been a part of a, an outdoor game before. And that was one of the right. coolest atmospheres and experiences of my life. And uh, I'll never forget that. And it was even though I didn't play the game, 
but just being a part of it and like getting to do the practice the day before and then having your family and, you know, girlfriend and everybody come out on the ice and get to skate with you and, you know, be around that and be there was, you know, my sister lives down in Florida and she doesn't get to see me play a whole lot. Having her be able to come in and fly in and be there for that experience. And even though I didn't play, like I said, but like being there and just getting to be a part of that with me was, was unbelievable. So that was probably one of the, the coolest things I've ever been a part of. That's awesome, man. Well, Hey, officially on air, I'll say goodbye off there after we finish here, but officially on air for everybody listening. Thank you for joining the show today, brother. Yeah, no, it was great. I had a lot of fun. All right. Just a quick word to end it. Trevor Gorsuch, a uh, good guy to have on good stories. Um, Hopefully we find out where he's going to end up. I know that he said that he's on the protected list right now and uh, should be staying in Wichita, but we'll see as always. Um, we just want to say too, I know that my father couldn't be here, but uh, I know that once the summertime gets close, you know, sometimes people are fading out with hockey. We're still going to keep it going. I know that it's been a bit slow lately on our end or haven't been posting as much. Um, the truth is I actually just bought the dispensary um, that I've kind of partly owned for about two years now. And so uh, my father and I have been really focused on helping me get started, make sure that I'm good to go and getting on with that. So um, didn't want anybody to think we've had a couple of people ask, you guys slowing down, you guys not doing anymore. We're still doing our same thing. Still going to get the schedule uh, with our special guests coming back on. Um, just getting back into our routine. And, uh, you know, with my father here in the summer, as most people that have been watching the show know, um, our home studio is at his office in the college. And so sometimes it's a bit tough. Uh, for us during the summer to get together to get in there and do it together but uh, we're going to keep it going all summer long um, and we hope everybody continues to hang on um, and then congrats to former guest Kevin Tanzi we're going to be having him on um, in the near future he just signed with Sheffield Steelers so all of our Sheffield fans you guys got a good guy with you check out we have had two previous interviews with him um, I don't remember the episodes off the top of my head so forgive me but uh, look back on those incredible story with the coma thing but he also doesn't just want to be remembered for the coma story. So look at all the other things he's done in his life, impact of CBD, his company. Um, he's got a lot going for himself. So got a good one, Sheffield. Again, I don't want to take up too much of anybody's time. It's been a long episode, but thank you all for continuing to join into the Father and Son Hockey Podcast.